This is your place for all things Detroit Red Wings and all things Chicago Blackhawks. With your hosts, Jordan Linscott, David Barnhouse, Nick LePage, and Tim Stampanato. This is the Stickblade Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of the Stick Blade Podcast. Here's your place for all things Detroit Red Wings, all things Chicago Blackhawks news around the NHL. Everybody, the NHL All-Star game and weekend is officially over. We're jumping back into the regular season and what's left of it. Around this time is when big trades and like signings start happening with the league before deadline day. And there was a big one. The New York Islanders acquired Bo Horvat from the Vancouver Canucks, and then they just signed him to an eight-year deal. The Islanders are, I think, win, like they're trying to win now, right? Like that's what this move's about. Oh yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. They're uh, they're in win now mode, and uh, obviously we kind of hit on it last week, but it was a very confusing trade, uh, just because you know, kind of where the Islanders are at. So it's a very confusing trade, but uh, obviously with the extension in place, it kind of makes a little more sense now. They have their, uh, they have Barzell and Bo Horvat, one-two puncher in the future. So I, it's kind of where the past couple of weeks, news around the NHL has kind of been used as like a preface to like Red Wings and Blackhawks news. So I feel like we kind of need to talk about this before we talk about any of the stuff that we're going to talk about for the Red Wings and the Blackhawks. Um, on tonight's schedule for the Red Wings and the Blackhawks, news we're going to talk about, um, Philip Sedina is back from Grand Rapids, going to be playing with the Detroit Red Wings. The Detroit Red Wings waived Adam Ernie. He goes unclaimed, and he's playing down in Grand Rapids now. Also, it looks like Jacob Verona is getting closer to being back to that comfort level we want to see where he might potentially be playing with Detroit again. And then over on the Blackhawks side, some news regarding Patrick Kane. I mean, Obviously, the player everyone's kind of looking at for them and saying, you know, if someone's going to get moved at the deadline, this is some comments that he made that have kind of started some buzz. I think it's really that this is real now for him. And then, I mean, you talked about it, like potentially how Kyle, yeah, how Kyle Davidson basically, he might have saved the Blackhawks from being just like this middle of the road team that waits to bottom out. And instead, he might have just potentially boosted their rebuild. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're we're gonna hammer. I'm gonna hammer home about that. I, I mean, I know you guys want to get to the wing side early, because. Uh, but yeah, Kyle Davidson, he might have saved the Hawks organization. So, uh, I got a lot of thoughts on that future uh, <laughs> upcoming of the show. Because holy cow. So. <sighs> The Wings really only have, you know, the Zadina and the Ernie move to talk about. Um, we can talk about Verona for a second, but the first piece of news, Philip Zadina looks like he's going to be playing back with the Detroit Red Wings, you know, this upcoming week. He's been put back on the roster. Adam Ernie got waived and sent down to Grand Rapids. And I've seen a lot of people online already saying, you know, Adam Ernie's been putting up better numbers than Philip Zadina got to this year. Yes, is that true? Yeah, 100%. But at the same time, Phillips Zedina still can be a piece for Detroit when they're done rebuilding. Adam Ernie, I don't think is. And no shade to Adam Ernie, but just about every team already has an Adam Ernie-style player. He's one of those guys who, if you can get one for, you know, like a million, maybe a million and a half, you will get one. And they're okay players to have. But I think Phillips Zedina, for like what the Red Wings really want to do for five, six, even maybe 10 years down the road. Philip Zadina is a player who they need to be looking at and saying, let's figure out if this is actually what we're doing with our club, because he's got, I think, a lot more potential long-term than Adam Ernie does if he can seem to break this just ridiculous scoring drought that he seems to be in. I mean, David, what is your initial takeaway from what's been going on with both of these moves? I mean... Adam Ernie is not the player we're going to have once we're out of the three build. He's not a player that's going to be a top six. He'd be more of a bottom six type player. 
if he stay if he's someone that we keep around. Ernie has good stats. He's a good PK player. Um, but Zadina's a sixth overall pick. Um, Zadina has grown a lot with the team. Yes, he's not scoring goals as often as we'd like, but he has a great two-way ability, and the goals will come. I think the fact that Zadina had, what, one, one game conditioning stint? No, technically it was a two game, but two games. Okay, I I know he scored the game tying goal against the Texas Stars. Yeah, Texas Stars. Um, and then we won in a shootout. But if Lalonde and Iserman think he's ready to come back up, I think he's ready to come back up. Will he be top six right away? Probably not. But I think he could work his way up there. And just imagining him with players like a Bergen like a hopefully returning Verana soon would be fun to watch. Um, Ernie. It's tough. Like Ernie's a good player. He's a hardworking player. Would I like to see him back up? Yes. Do I think he will? Yeah, I think he will. Things are bound to happen. People are bound to get switched around, but I think it's the right move. My thing is kind of this, the wings, you don't want to say the season's already botched because they're sitting over 500 right now. So obviously this team's good enough to mm-hmm. fight for like a real playoff spot. And maybe not, you know, like obviously like a, a top two position in their division, but they are good enough to play for a wild card spot. And as much as it would be good to get into the playoffs this year and like really get some of the players like Lark and like Raymond, like cider playoff reps. So I can kind of get hungry for that and get a taste of it. Mm-hmm. I think management's probably looking around it this year and saying, you know, we didn't really have the healthiest roster that we wanted to have this year. And rather than try to get this roster that we really wanted to have going into this season before the injury bug hit a bunch of people, I think they might just be kind of looking at this team and going, we wanted to make it happen this year. It didn't happen this year. And if it's not going to happen this year, let's at least continue to let the players who are expected to be contributing players when this team's done rebuilding, get quality reps for the rest of the season. Like, it's weird. We've, I th- we've said it before on the show. The Red Wings are in arguably the toughest division in the NHL. Like, if the Red Wings were over in the West, I think they're a playoff team, and it's not even a question. They're just For so sure. ridiculously stacked in that division with other quality teams. It's hard to get a playoff spot. Like, you have to be one of the best teams in the league. It is. And I'm looking at, like, the Atlantic. Boston, they're aging. So, a couple of years, they won't be this, hopefully, top-quality team like we see. Toronto? They're going to go broke. Matthews like, is gone in 2024. Yeah. That team's going to go broke. They can't afford other players. Tampa, you can't keep playing at that high of a level without the wheels falling off. Look at the wings. We kept making the playoff. It's it's going to happen. Buffalo is always a toss-up. Florida, toss-up. Ottawa, they have pieces that they should be good, but they're struggling. I think in a couple of years – as those teams in our division start to kind of dwindle a bit, we're just going to continue to rise is the hope. Yeah, no, I mean, the East is such a powerhouse boys. It's, it, it seems like uh, during like the mid 2010s during the Blackhawks run, it was like East was kind of like the little brother of the West. Cause it was like the Kings, the Blackhawks kind of battling for their own dynasty. within. But now you got Tampa trying to build a dynasty. Uh, I mean, they already are a dynasty. You got Boston just on a wagon. The Capitals always around. The Pittsburgh Penguins always around. You got a couple of teams on the up and up, like the Senators, the Devils. Like, there's so many good teams on the East. And uh, obviously, it's tough to predict, like, the losing teams now where they could be in a couple of years. Uh, usually, you like you got, like you just said, David, you would think, like, eventually the wheels fall off of these top-tier teams. Like, eventually, pieces leave. You know, they try to go elsewhere and win. Uh, because some some have already felt the sense of winning, and now they want to get that paycheck. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think the wings are on a good progression. What we've seen out of Eiserman, uh, yeah, obviously the goal was playoffs this year. I think we all had them in. Um, but 
where they where they are now and what they're looking like to set up for the future, I think they got it. They're 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 up. They're set up perfectly fine. Um, the other piece of wings news that I think is kind of important to touch on: Jacob Verana has been looking a lot better in Grand Rapids as of late. I want to say, like, I'm obviously hopefully he gets to play more games this year in Detroit. I think anybody who's a Wings fan really wants to see that for him. But again, it's not the end of the world if Jacob Verana doesn't play this year in Detroit. Like, I think af- is after this year or next year, like his cap it's off the books, and Detroit I think still retains RFA rights on him. If I remember right, don't quote me on it, but I'm pretty sure they still retain RFA rights on him. Let me check. If Verana doesn't play, it's not the end of the Wings world. Like, would we have liked him to have played? Sure, absolutely. He showed some great flashes of what he can do, just scoring potential wise. But Jacob he's a Verana, UFA. is a UFA. Yeah, he's a UFA. Is is that after next year or this year? I'm trying to next year. I, okay, after next year, so 24-25, he'll be a UFA. But so, like, even if he doesn't play this year, the Wings still have him for next year. And I think by next year, he should be ready to come play at the NHL. Okay, you missed out on a year of Jacob Verona. It's not the end of the Wings world. Like, if the lottery balls happen to fall in the Wings' favor and they land one of the top two picks from this draft, great. Oh, no, you missed a year of Jacob Verona, and it let you get a high-end quality player. Now, granted, it's a draft lottery. The Red Wings never win. We never move up, so it's not going to happen anyway. But I got to humor myself here. And, like, it's not the end of the world if the Wings don't get Jacob Verona this year. Mm-hmm. It's I, I know I said it a few times now, but it's crazy how many uh, expiring contracts we have this year. Like, super crazy. To build out that Verona point, Jordan, it's kind of just like an extra bonus to your roster now if he does end up coming back up and if he does stick around. Like, it's just an extra – because you've been – it's been so long that you've been without him. It's kind of just like a little extra bonus perk if he does come up. It's like a more fuel to the fire. So, I mean, you, you're used to the team without Jacob Verona. Obviously, it was exciting when you guys acquired him, especially the short stint he had with the wings before he got hurt. It was kind of like lightning in the bottle. It's like, holy cow, this kid's fast. He has a hell of a shot. So, I mean, if you guys get him back up on the roster to finish out the year or have him around next year and he's a big part of the team, it, it, I mean, it, that trade could still be a very big win for you guys. And I still think it is. It, like, and It's kind of like a good point, Nick. You know, Jacob Verona at this point in the Red Wings season – it is. It's just bonus at this point. Like, might cool. the team have been better if he was in the lineup? Sure, absolutely. I think there are quite a few games where the Wings lost by one or two goals. Maybe Jacob Verano would have been that difference maker. But the fact is he wasn't there. And the Wings kind of just built their system around not having him. And so everyone got used to not having him on the team. So if you happen to get it, great, extra. I I can't remember what did we use the Capitals picks on again, or have we used them all? Uh, the one was it they gave us a first round draft pick, Jacob Verant for what was it Anthony Mantha, and then we got Jacob Verana back, and we got we took off uh, Richard Ponick from their uh, team. So basically, they paid us a first round draft like. In terms of assets, it's either they paid us a first-round draft pick to take Richard Ponick off their roster, or the like the first moved it up so that we would take Richard Ponick from them. I'm trying to find it now. <laughs> Just trying to see what we use those picks on. But but either way, like the, they, it's like you said, either, like they, we got they, they moved Wyatt. they moved up to draft Cosa. Okay, so great. Detroit acquired a potential starting caliber goaltender yeah. for the future. Like mm-hmm. they used other assets to move up to draft Cosa. Not the end of the world, especially no, considering Anthony a, Mantha's playing what fourth line or scratched in Washington right now. Yeah, it's it's looking like a disaster in Washington in general right now. <laughs> Minus Ovechkin scoring, it's pretty much all they got. But yeah, like. I, 
I think it's awesome. Like, I think it's good that Jacob Verano looks like he's taking the steps forward to finally be back with the wings. I think the wings really are going to want his offense, obviously, if they do see him as a piece of this core rebuild. But again, like I said, even if they don't, his contract's up after next year, I believe, anyway. So it's not like the wings signed him to like some seven-year deal and all of a sudden he can't play anymore. This is a short-term contract to begin with. Like, it doesn't... It's not a contract that the wings sort of have as like a ball and chain around their feet and they can't do anything because of it. This contract, even if Jacob Rana never comes back, you have it for two years and it's gone. Yep. It's very true. I mean, I I, I think the only other thing to talk about is I'm kind of going to wrap it back a little bit to what we were talking about with Bo Horvat earlier. Bo Horvat signed an eight-year deal with the New York Islanders making, what was it, like 8.5 or something like that million dollars a year? Uh, 11. Uh, 11 mil. 11 mil. Wait, wait, did I read the details of the contract wrong? It's 8 by 88. So 8 by 11. Okay, so, yeah, I must have read the details wrong. So, anyway, signs an eight-year deal with the uh, New York Islanders after getting traded from the Vancouver Canucks. 8 by 11, you've got, like, the Red Wings have got to be looking at that contract and then looking at Dylan Larkin. And I mean, I'm kind of looking at the stat line here. Dylan Larkin's got to be a $9 million center this year, free agency, right, David? Like I've seen a lot of people saying they're not comfortable paying more than eight, but if you use this contract as a comparable, Dylan Larkin's got to be a $9 million center. Like, I'd say nine to 9.5 is the highest I'd go. I, I wouldn't be happy. I, I would not feel comfortable paying him 11, but I think nine to 9.5 is going to be where that number lands somewhere. And I don't think it's unreasonable. No, it's not. I don't think it is at all. Is he a great player? Yes. People are like, oh man, Dylan Larkin needs to be paid. Look how great he is in the all star game, all these goals he's scoring. Like, it's the all star game. No one's trying. Like, and he's playing around other superstars. Don Larkin's great. Don't get me wrong, but he's not an eleven million dollar center. It, like eleven million dollar centers, that's when you start talking about the McDavid's of the world, the Matthews of the world. Like not Bo Horvat. I don't think Bo Horvat was worth eleven million. I think the yeah. Islanders overpaid. Yeah, but that being said, man, like I think this move makes the New York Islanders have real pressure to win now and. You got Barzal oh, yeah. and Horvat. You have your one-two center punch now. Very I mean, true. Like I said, I think nine to nine point five is going to be very reasonable for Dylan Larkin, and I think he deserves it. To be honest, he's the best center on this club. He's stuck with this team through a real rebuild, and by the time that this like they're really competing again every year, the salary cap's expected to go up what four million dollars within the next two years. So this deal isn't going to be that bad, all things considered, if he signs like an 8 by 9 or even 8 by, eight by 9 5. I mean, mm-hmm. I think at that point, it's kind of splitting hairs. I mean, yeah. Nick, if you were in the Winks position, what would you feel comfortable inking Larkin to? I would say like 9 to 9.5 again with David. I think he's a top tier center. Uh, I, I mean, maybe, maybe he's a two on a really good team, but right now he's your one, and he needs to be paid like a one. Uh, and one centers, one C's don't grow on trees, and you got to keep him around. And it, I mean, it worked out with Kane and Taze. You paid them ten and a half, so. Uh-oh. Did we lose Nick? I think we might have. He's frozen. Yeah, I think we just lost Nick. He's gone. That's a shame. We're about to go move on to the Blackhawks stuff after oh, this one. I, I guess what happened to um, Tim happened to him because Tim's not here, and I forgot to mention what happened to him. Um, this morning, Tim decided to go out and check his mail. <sighs> Second, he walked out in the porch, though some child neighbor of his had dumped a whole box of Legos on his porch. He stepped all over those Legos feet are just massacred. 
couldn't walk to his computer tonight. Hope he heals better soon. But I mean, while we're waiting for Nick to come back, I mean, like like I was saying, you know, like I think you know when you look at Bo Horvat's contract, mm-hmm. him and Larkin both coming up on UFA status. Maybe like Dylan Larkin takes you know like a nine million dollar contract to be quote unquote team friendly. That's kind of what Nathan McKinnon did with the Avalanche until they won their cup. Like Nathan McKinnon took a very team friendly contract to make it so the Avalanche could still compete before the cap started going up again. And yeah, is Dylan Larkin Nathan McKinnon? No, but is he that player like the tier right below that player? Yeah, absolutely. I think he is. And like Nick was saying, you know, is he a bona fide? number one franchise changing center like Crosby or like McKinnon or like McDavid. No, but he is the tier of guys just below that who, when you put them with other great wingers, they're putting up 80, 90 points a season. Like Dylan Larkin produces at what is basically a top two center potential. And like he was saying, those don't grow on trees. Yeah. Sorry, Nick, you caught out on us. You there? Maybe he's still there. Uh he might not have sound. <laughs> Rattlesnakes. Um <laughs> so I don't know, like Dylan Larkin is a home kid, hometown kid. And I'm sure he wants to win a cup. I mean, why wouldn't you want to win a cup? And I'm sure he really wants to win it with Detroit. Mm-hmm. And if there's a chance, you know, we sit down and they look at the numbers and they say, you know, we're not going to be able to pay you these 11, 12 million, but with this pay cut, we can bring in a, B and C and make a push for a cup run. How would you say no to that? It, that's the thing is like Dylan Larkin's got the chance to be loved forever in Detroit. If he does something like that, like, mm-hmm. like hypothetically, I'm a great hockey player and I play for the Red Wings, my team that I grew up watching and they, you know, I have a chance to win a cup and take a pay cut because I want that cup. I'm going to do it. Look at Tom freaking Brady. Greatest. NFL player of all time has what seven Super Bowls, right? Yeah, it's a stupid number. Stupid he number. Was taking, he was taking like huge pay cuts in New England. Why? Because they could get his Wes Welkers, they could get his, you know, Julian Edelman's, they could get Grog, they could get all these players, you know, to build this team to win the Super Bowl. Okay. To be Super Bowl contenders every year. And he, wasn't getting paid like an Aaron Rodgers garbage human being who's won one Super Bowl. And that was because his defense helped him win it. Like you want to win, you can't do it by yourself. And you got to be able to pay those other players. And that's the thing. Like, I mean, we always talk about Toronto and Edmonton as great examples of this. Like you have two of like the highest paid players in the NHL, McDavid and Drysaddle on Edmonton. Where are they going? Because the team can't afford depth pieces. First round knockout. I mean, they like they made it far last year, but before that, it's been nothing. Mm-hmm. Toronto, they're super stacked with their forwards. That makes up most of their salary. Who else are they going to bring in? Like, you gotta and like you gotta pay people, but you also gotta build a depth team. Look at St. Louis when they won the cup. That was a team of depth, and they won. Look at Tampa and their back-to-back cups, and then almost a third. They had some star caliber championships. Pl- they had some star-caliber players, but those star-caliber players were players they drafted smart with and brought in small. Like, you got to have the depth. The greatest player in hockey, Connor McDavid, may never win a cup if he doesn't have a team around him, he can score. He can have a hundred plus point seasons every freaking year. Cool. That's awesome. But your name will never be on the cup. 
Nick, you back with us? Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, no, I mean, you guys, you guys are nailing the uh, uh, nail on the head. Uh, it's just homegrown talents. What gets you far? I mean, it's the it's the drafting. It's I mean, I know it's kind of cliche, but building from your own farm and kind of building up from there. That's the way you win in this league. That's the way you win in every professional league. There's a reason mm-hmm. why, like when it comes to free agency, yeah, it's nice to add different pieces and like names, you know, and like people you can see affect the talent, right? Uh, affect the on ice talent right away. Mm-hmm. But there's a reason why they're free agents. Like they didn't value their, their own team didn't value them enough that they are going somewhere else. I mean, sure. There's certain scenarios where like, they just didn't like the player didn't want to be there and everything like that. But like, they're free agents for a reason is because they weren't wanted by their original team or they, their original team didn't really make out enough room to keep them. And they valued other pieces over them. So it's like you said, I mean, to win the East, so it's just going to be depth, 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 depth. And I mean, you gotta, you gotta build through the middle. And I think kind of tying it all back together when I was starting to have internet issues, I think Larkin's a big part of that. If he's not your one C, at least you got a really damn good two C like that's it like any team that doesn't have a Crosby a McDavid a McKinnon on any team that doesn't have that quality of player Dylan Larkin like you said Nick that's your 1c like it's only fair he gets paid when he's doing the work of a top line center Mm -hmm. oh I actually kind of like your remark you know about like teams valuing and making room like that I mean you kind of saw that with Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves, two of the players, two of the Hawks are going to be looking to move this uh, potential uh, trade deadline if they're willing to accept. I kind of want to use that as like a springboard to talk about that. Like Patrick Kane made out, made some comments in the media that kind of sound like, okay, maybe he is okay leaving Chicago. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it all everything started to kind of come together today. It sounds like, um, Officially, Pat Brisson has uh, approached Patrick Kane uh, with some teams that have shown interest in trading for him. Um, but to build off that, like I'm glad it kind of wasn't just left at that. Patrick Kane still is undecided about what to do for his future. But that leaves, I mean, it just leaves the question. It's like, this is I mean, not even the question. It's just the gut feeling like this is starting to get real. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of scary. You got... I mean, it, not only is Pat Brisson the agent of Kane, but he's also the agent of Taze. So you know he's doing the same thing with Jonathan Taze right now. And it the only thing, the only reason why we didn't hear hear from it today is because Taze has been uh, out the last couple of days uh, due to illness. So it's kind of seeming more and more real as the days go on. And now, like we're three weeks from the deadline, like this is probably going to happen. And you know, Kane kind of followed up with it, saying. Uh, something along the lines of this is it, it's in, intriguing and could be exciting uh, about the opportunities that are out there and kind of get left the uh, old we'll see. So uh, it's, it's so it crazy to think about. And like the thing is, though, like you, has Kane came right out and said, yeah, I'll take a trade somewhere. No, but if you go talk to somebody like Duncan Keith, who played with the same organization you did for what, what they both played for 16 years in Chicago. Keith a little longer than Kane and Taze, but yeah. Like, and you talk to that guy about the exact same thing that's on the table for you right now. And what that experience was like. And that guy says, you know, it was nice to go just try somewhere else and just kind of get an idea for what it felt like to play somewhere else and be kind of closer to home. I mean, is Patrick Kane probably got great memories of Chicago? Yeah, of course. You won three championships there. Like, how could you not? But I don't think it's unrealistic for him to maybe be looking around and saying, you know what? New York's kind of like in a spot where they could be winning right now. Might be kind of cool to like win one kind of close to home. Like, yeah, no, I mean, that's 100%. It. I think that's what fans need to realize too. Like, if there was anyone like back going back to the dynasty, it was like, all right, Keith's going to be a Hawk for life. He's not going anywhere. Kane Hawk for life. Yada, yada. yada. It was always like kind of assured that Taze might end up leaving, but if Duncan Keith gets traded, that leaves really all the tables open. I mean, he was, he was the epitome of a Chicago Blackhawk or just a Chicago in general, just kind of a grinder, hardworking guy. He's going to be the best. And 
you know, kind of slept down. He was a second round pick. I uh, wasn't expected to be this top pair, and he was a Norris Trophy winner, uh, Conn Smythe winner. And but yeah, if Duncan Keith got traded, that really means like everybody could be traded, and nobody's safe. No, nobody's safe. And Keith wasn't even that bad in his prime. He just wasn't who he he wasn't a top pair D man anymore, which is fine. Yeah. Kane is, Kane's not Kane this year. He's dealing with some nagging injuries, along with just a terrible team on the ice in general, and. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's getting very scary. And, you know, like you said, Jordan, sometimes you kind of want to, you got to do what's best for yourself too. Like you gotta do what's best for your career. If you didn't go on to win somewhere, if Patrick Kane thinks going to win somewhere else is the best opportunity for his career right now, why shouldn't he take it? That's it. That's the other thing is, I mean, sports careers are not guaranteed at the end of the day. Like they're usually really limited and they can end in any moment given a freak injury of some kind. Mm-hmm. Why would he not want, like you said, want to go potentially win somewhere else if the chance is right for him? No one can really be bad if he does decide, you know, I want to do what's best for me at this point. And for him, maybe that is going to New York or Boston or Tampa or some team that's going to make the cap space for him because if Chicago retains five and a half, what? million yeah retains half I think just about every team in the league that has real cup aspirations would be like yeah we'll move we'll find a way to make 5.25 million dollars work in our cap structure yeah no 100% I mean for talent like Kane is kind of like why wouldn't you do it um but also what I do know is according to David Pagnata the two teams that have reached out that is known to reach out so far it's obviously the New York Rangers. That's been clear and obvious this whole time. And they might as well just put it on their billboards. Like, Hey, can't come home. And uh, the team that would just make me disgusted, sick, puke my guts out. The Dallas stars. Uh, that's what one. So those are two teams. That sure. would break Timmy. That would break uh, Timmy. That'd break my heart in the division. <laughs> um, Yeah. That would break my heart. Uh, Tim's heart. I know for sure. He hates the stars more than he, just as much as he hates the blues. So, um, he hates the stars more than he loves Chicago. <laughs> yeah, that might be the case. So that those are two teams for sure that I've reached out about Kane. But also, I know we kind of went, been leaning back and forth on this idea. With Kane's injury is pretty well known. Uh, I think Elliot Freeman reported today on his the Thirty Two Thoughts podcast that players around the league know that what Kane's battling through, dealing with this nagging issue. That means general managers know about it too. And I, I think the Hawks are going to be low-balled, and I truly am not completely sold on Kane leaving at the trade deadline. Like, I think it's possible, but if, if it, we've seen it before with Davidson kind of just, you know, Calvin DeHaan. I know it's a completely different player tier of talent, but, like, he didn't get what he wanted, so he's not going to move him. And, I mean, Patrick Kane, I think, if he doesn't get traded, why would he just – then why would he just leave kind of like – I mean, unemotionally, it's kind of just like, all right, I'm I, I'm walking in July where nobody's really paying attention to hockey. I think uh, so. I'm not sold on Kane being officially traded, but it, it's starting to get more and more realistic. That's for sure. If he goes to Dallas, it's going to be like that clip of Bart Simpson where he's got like the TV remote in front of him. He's talking to the guy and he goes, at this exact moment, you can see where the guy's heart explodes in his chest. Like... I feel like that's going to be all the Chicago fan base if he goes to Dallas. Oh God, that's the last thing I want. I mean, any I not the, I shouldn't say the last thing. It's one of the last things. I mean, St. Louis would suck too, but St. Louis is not a position to do so. Um, yeah, no, it's uh, Dallas would hurt. Dallas would hurt, but we've seen Patrick Sharp go there too. So, so before the we started recording, Nick, you were talking about Kyle Davidson and. As much as some fans don't like him, I actually really like Kyle Davidson and how he's running the Blackhawks right now from like an outside perspective. I actually think he's doing a really good job managing the club, given the situation that he walked into. And we kind of talked about it in the group text before the show, just how much the Blackhawks prospect pool has improved just during his tenure alone with the Hawks. Part of that had to do with the Brandon Hagel trade. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, it, it's it really that's a good tie in, George. Just kind of like 
we go from talking Kane and Taze potentially being moved, and like it, it all comes to uh, Kyle Davidson's asset management, which I think it's been absolutely phenomenal. Just because going not just, that is just the start of it. Going into kind of what it all ties into is like the Hawks were twenty fifth in prospect rankings last season. In one full season, Davidson went from 25th to 5th. A top five prospect farm system. Like, I mean, it's mind-blowing that you take a 20-step leap. You don't see that. Usually when you're 25th, you're kind of just sitting, like, you, you eventually gain a top prospect, but, like, the Hawks are just added plethora of talent into their organization left and right. And it's just, it, it amazes me how quick of a turnaround that this has really turned into just on bail, building off this prospect system. I mean, kind of tying into the wings, you guys were, the wings are ranked fourth right now. I mean, mm-hmm. they've been rebuilding for a little bit. I, I mean, it's an extreme talent, but like going back to that Brandon Hagel trade, it was all like, there was this, this numbers game based on liquidity and like what your liquid, like what your liquid assets are, which ones you could afford to get rid of, and how you take advantage of that. And I'm gonna go through this little Twitter thread real quick. Sorry, I know I'm rambling on. Then I want to get your guys' thoughts on it. Uh, so Brandon Hagel, it, it was like this guy Brett Lee put it all together. I'm gonna give him his credit where it's due. Uh, prime example of a team monetizing a highly liquid asset. Uh, the Brandon Hagel trade netted four future f- assets of a player with only one and a half NHL seasons. Uh, and it's saying, could something like this happen at the deadline? Uh, it's just saying Hagel's contract, three years, 1.5. It was a gamble uh, that tested the development de- development and coaching. And kind of what Davidson had in mind, Hagel would be this late 20s, less liquid by the time Chicago is contending. His value could never be higher based off the uh, – that season and a half and the return he, he could fetch would transform their entire asset pipeline, which ties into this. Now who are the top two players that kind of fit this guy's model? Taylor Radish, Chicago Blackhawk, two years remaining at 750,000 Sam Lafferty, Chicago Blackhawk, one and a half million, same contract as Hagel and kind of like, like it, it's these little players that are not, these big names that's really transforming the Chicago black that could transform the Chicago Blackhawks. I mean, like that's kind of the thing though. And like <coughs> as much fun as it is to talk about the superstar players, the guys who put the highlight real goals, hockey's a unique game. Your superstars are probably only playing 20 some minutes a night, maybe 30 minutes. If you've got a guy who has got just super, like just, ridiculous super superhuman levels of stamina that other 40 minutes of the game somebody else has to be out there and when you can find value players who can take those minutes that's so ridiculously invaluable and a lot of people i don't think look about look at that they look at just strictly who are the star players you have available to you and your team and then how do you build off those players but like I said, those players are only playing 20-ish minutes a night. Somebody else has to be playing those other minutes. And when you can find guys on very affordable, very budget-friendly deals to produce for you or at least hold the fort down while the stars are resting, that stuff's super valuable, especially when it comes time to do like any sort of like meaningful team build. No, yeah, 100%. I mean, you can't re- – like you can't, like you said, you look at the Maple Leafs, you look at the stars back a couple of years – or three, four, five years ago, like they were relying on these big name guys, but like you bring in a Brandon Hagel who's kind of wasn't really given a chance. The Sabres kind of let him uh, walk. Um, Taylor Radish was thrown into the trade for Hagel, which is kind of, kind of ironic how it all came together. Uh, And um, Sam Lafferty, who was traded for a project we gave up on an Alex Nylander. And now he's a big commodity. Like, like, oh man, he could fetch a big return now because he he he's a great penalty killer. He's kind of taken advantage. He's a good two-way set or two-way forward. So it all really all ties into like you have like Davidson. So going back to how the segment started, Davidson kind of saved the Hawks from middling. 
Like with Stan Bowman, we were seeing these high drafted picks kind of be dealt. Like you would draft Philip Denal, gone. Adam Boquist, gone. Uh, name every other Tevu Teravine gone. Like he would not let these first round picks stay and develop. It was just, what's the next big thing? What's the next big thing? How could I trade these guys and just try to acquire known talent? Davidson has taken on these smaller guys, trading them out, trading them out, trading them out, and letting these picks develop and just kind of turn it into this number five prospect farm system. And it's just insane that if Stan Bowman was still around, that we went from rebuilding one year to trying to contend trading for Marc-Andre Fleury, Tyler Johnson, and whatnot in one offseason, and it was like, rebuild's off. We're going to win now. Davidson kind of stopped, stopped, put a halt to that and said, once Bowman got fired, put a halt to it. It's like, no, 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 no. This team's not going anywhere. Like, we're done. We're in the, we're in the route. We're dead in the road. We got to get rid of everybody. Like, start clearing house and build for the future because this team won. This team had its window. That window's shut. Like, we could try to pry it open. It's closed. Now Davidson is starting his own thing from scratch, and it's really showing just build up, just based off the one, one and a half years he's been here building up this farm system. And like, that's the other thing. Like, I've seen people, like, people say, like, you know, prospect systems are great and all, but what does your core look like in a couple of years? And the thing about the Hawks prospect system that I actually really like is your guys' prospect system, a lot of your high-end pieces are varied positions to work with, like, You've got Nazer, who is projecting to be a center. You've got Korchinski, who's going to be looking like a high-end defenseman. You've got, um, what's his name, Drew Camaso, who's going to be, it looks like, in my opinion, a good goaltender for you if like, he can really start to put things together at the pro level. Like The Hawks, it looks like, have finally started to really diversify their prospect pool and try to get talent in every position instead of just trying to zone in on a certain group of players and i think that's really like i said where strong prospect farms come from no 100 percent. i mean you see what the hawks drafted they drafted they went after speedy guys and skilled guys like nazer korchinski who's one of the fastest d-men in the w uh and went versatile wise because like reichel could play both wing and center ryan green could both play wing and center frank nazer could both play wing and center like it, it goes on and on. And then like you Renzel was kind of like the finishing piece to like, we know we have a good defensive pool as we've seen, like the hot, that's been the Hawks and uh, MO for drafting and developing. It's like, all right, we got a lot of defensive pieces. Like who are we going to get rid of now to start clearing room? Uh, so like, it's really just building off this and it's kind of coming together just in the last, like this last draft class, our top prospects are, our, our three three of them are from this last draft class. Like, or actually four of them. Sorry, four of them with uh, Ryan Green. So Kyle Davis is just kind of working the board. Again, I'm going back to asset management. Managing his assets, kind of moving pieces that need to be moved, and he's making it something out of nothing. Like expiring contract gone. Oh, you're you're at a you're at a buy high right now. See you later. You're not going to be part of this team going forward. Like you're 26. We're not going to win for another three, four years. We don't want you when you're 30. Bye. Good luck. It's just, it's smart thinking. And it's so nice to see. It's refreshing to see rather than trying to add pieces that we know and whatnot and try to turn the ship around, clearing house. And, you know, it, it might take trading Kane and Taze, mm-hmm. but it needs to happen. And Davidson's kind of like ready to rip that bandaid off. And it's as much as it hurts to say goodbye to one era. The next era is looking just as good. It, like the thing is, is also like Davidson has been very consistent as a GM. Like you said, like Stan Bowman, he kind of just started flip flopping between we're rebuilding, we're rebuilding. Just kidding, we're going for the playoffs this year. Oh, we're back to rebuilding now. Kyle Davidson has been very, very adamant about the the whole like we're rebuilding from day one from when he took over the Blackhawks as general management. You've got to have somebody who's willing to have a plan and just stick with the plan. I think in sports, like even like, let's say the Hawks have something happen next year and they are just outside the playoff window. I still think that Kyle Davidson's going to look at the team and say, yeah, we probably could have had like a fluke and gotten in, but the talent's still not there for this club yet. Like 
I, I think Davidson's one of the few guys who is a general manager right now in the NHL who I look at and say, he's got a very clear-cut plan. He knows what he's going to do. It's just a matter of waiting for the plan to actually pan out. And you can't say that about a lot of GMs, especially when most GMs have a job for a couple of years tops. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's a job security league, and not everybody really has a job security. But I think Davidson, in the small track record that he has right now, is kind of showing a lot. I mean, again, I, I know I mentioned it already, but jumping from 25 to 5 in prospect ranking is a big deal. Um, and, yeah, it, it, yeah, you're not, your job's not always safe, but you kind of got to stay one path or the other. Otherwise, it's just going to – you're going to be the Minnesota Wild. Like, you don't – and you don't want to be the Minnesota Wild. You want to be a, a Tampa Bay Lightning. You want to be a Colorado Avalanche. Like, it all, it, it all starts, like, just by sticking to your path and that's kind of what ruined the Hawks, I think, back in the Bowman re- regime, is during that COVID year, they kind of they were a wacky team. Like Brandon Hagel was this interesting piece. It's like holy cow! <laughs> and then it, like Philip Kershev, Pius Suter before he was known, and it's like all these names they came together. It's like, oh, what do we got going on here? We're we just missed the playoffs. So, uh, very. I'm glad to see Davidson kind of sticking his ground. Uh, I know we're going to see a lot more names being moved. I, I know the past episodes we've been speculating who gets moved, who stays. I think uh, he has a couple moves up his sleeve that we don't really, we're not really speculating right now because he's kind of just keeping his guns to his chest. And, you know, when he sees something he likes, he's going to fire. I mean, that is one thing. Like, I, I respect general managers a lot more who actually stick to a plan. And I think as fans, it's easier to do that. Like, as a fan, what's easier for you to know that your team's rebuilding and then in a couple of years, you're going to get to be at the top of the mountain and enjoy it for a while or be stuck in this constant roller coaster of up and down, up and down, up and down, and just never having real expectations. Like I'd rather be rock bottom than middling. I would too. Cause eventually, you know, after being at the bottom for long enough, you're going to go to the top. Like how could, how much how many times can you deal with heartbreak losing in the first or second round? It's like oh god, we did that. We just did this last season. The Wings did it for like four or five years in a row. But you guys for... had a record going. Like I'm talking about like Cowboys fans. I know it's a different sport, <laughs> but like, ugh, like how could you just like year after year? It's the same thing. It's like watching a rerun of The Office or something. It's like oh here we go again. This is where we lose. <laughs> and like you want to like the goal is to win it all and in order to win it all in the NHL, you need star set of talent. You need to go to rock bottom. You need to rebuild. You need to build depth. Like you can't just have, again, compared to the NFL, like you can't just have a Tom Brady and just have him carry everybody else. Look at Connor McDavid. He's on pace for 150 points this year. And the Oilers, nobody really trusts the Oilers. Mm-mm. Nobody's like, oh, they're, yeah, they're locked for the Stanley Cup because they got Connor McDavid. No. Like, and that is like, let's say Connor McDavid goes out. Like, where are the Oilers going? Probably nowhere. Like, one player doesn't make a team. You've got to have a group of guys to do it. And right now, I, besides Eisman, based off what I've seen out of Davidson, there's no other GM I would want. He's really changed the whole trajectory of this organization and, you know, took a helpless fran- a team that was heading towards a helpless franchise again to – you know, we're going to be relevant in a couple of years. And, you know, I'm excited to see how this all plays out, see these uh, prospects that kind of boosted our pool and, you know, see what else we add in this upcoming draft. Um, I don't have anything else on the docket. Do you guys have anything else you want to talk about before we close out the show? I know uh, it's kind of a short one because, you know, I mean, the there's not a lot was... of news. All-star break. Yeah. And Tim's not here to keep building off me. You know, it's kind of, my... I, I can only talk so long for the Hawks. Just that my two recent players on our uh, card league have just been, you know, contributing very nicely for me. All right. I, so, I am going um, to the game tomorrow. I'm going to be firsthand. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be heading to Chicago. I'm going to be at the UC. It kind of sucks because, I, as I said earlier in the show, Taze is out. Uh, and as of right now, like this was expected to be my last game in attendance. Uh, so it kind of hurts. I might be able to, like, kind of see Kane one last time. But Taze is, might just be like, oh, I seen you back in January on a blowout loss to the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning. So 
Uh, I mean, I mean, try, I'm excited to go though. I mean, Trevor Zegers is in the house. Patrick Cambers, the Ducks, should be a fun time. Uh, and yeah, we'll see where that goes. Um, we've been doing it the past couple of weeks, closing out the sec or closing out the show with a fun topic to talk about. Um, the topic last week, what was it? Was it the potatoes? Potatoes. Yeah, potatoes? It was the potatoes. How could you forget? This week. What like we were kind of talking about in the group text before the show. Everybody's got like a guilty pleasure song, a song that like it doesn't match up at all to their musical tastes. Like if anybody saw you listening or heard that you listened to it, they would be a hundred percent certain that they were that they were being told lies. Guys, what is like what is your guilt? Well, so Preface it and tell me what is your guilty pleasure song. And I'm gonna go first with Tim's because Tim's not here. Tim's Tim's is a good song. I don't know why it's guilty pleasure. That's just a good song. Tim said that his uh, guilty pleasure song is Ohio is for Lovers by Hawthorne Heights, which that's high school college for me, right? That is a I don't I I probably heard the song. I don't know it. Like I I don't you're 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 much younger. You don't know the Hawthorne. Guys, I'm like four years younger than you all. That's that's a long time. It's a long time. I'm I'm old, dude. You're like you're still in your prime. I I I I, I stand up and I go, my knees. But Tim said his is Ohio is for lovers. Gentlemen. Who wants to go first? Because if you guys don't want to go first, I'll go first. Jordan, go and then Nick, yeah, go. Jordan, yeah, Jordan, go ahead. All right. So, anybody who knows me knows that, like, I love metal. And when I say metal, I'm not talking about like, like Metallica, Metallica stuff like that. Like, I'm talking about like the real hardcore metal stuff, like the stuff that, like, you can't understand half of the words of it. Like, I don't know. It gets me pumped and, like, I just love it. Like, it's, it's my scene. You're a death metal guy. I get yeah, it. Like, I, I love death metal. Like Suicide Silence, The Black Dahlia Murder. Uh, who's the other one that I really got into when I was younger? Um, Let me guess. Katy Perry, I Kissed a Girl. <laughs> no, it is not Katy Perry. But like when I'm alone in my car and like if, I, if there's a song I'm going to be playing... It's Kelly Clarkson's My Life Would Suck Without You. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't know what it is about the song. Like, it's catchy. It's upbeat. And <laughs> I like it. Did not see that. <laughs> no, no. I mean, it is catchy. My life. <laughs> like, it's not even a good song, but for some reason, like. It puts you in a good mood, though. <laughs> I don't know why. Like it's completely opposite of the rest of my musical tastes, but it's <laughs> it's a guilty pleasure song. Like nobody would expect me to listen to it. No, it puts you in a good mood. It's upbeat and it's kind of like it's kind of like a weird aggressive love song in one way too. It's like <laughs> it's about this person. Like, hey, my life would suck without you. My life, like life would suck without you. So it, it, I mean, it it is a jam. I mean, Kelly Clarkson, she screams. It kind of. It's like a pop version of a screamo band because Kelly Clarkson, she screams a lot. Uh, Nick, go ahead. All right. I'm going to preface this with saying, I I, I mean, it it's not shocking based on the genre because I love country music. Uh, country music is my go-to. That and grunge. I love grunge. I love country music. I love 90s alternative. But this song is, let's just say it's not meant for the fellas. And, uh, you know, it's Man, I Feel Like a Woman by Shania Twain. <laughs> it's a great song. It's a great song. It, it a is slapper. a good song. It is a good, like, you, it, listen, if that song comes on, it, <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to preface it by playing, like, the first three seconds. Dude, when that let, Let's Go Girls comes on. I'm ready. I'm ready to put on my boots and, you know, do the boot scooting boogie. I, I, that song comes out. Get some apple teenies pouring. I'm oh, I'll excited. Be, if, that's, if you're driving next to me, I don't know who's listening to this. If you're driving next to me and I'm really into it, I'm dancing, I'm like jamming along, just, you know, going nuts. You know, man, I feel like a woman's on because I, I love that song. It's, I mean, it's just a Great perfect. Song. You, you have that. <laughs> bah, bah, nah, 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 nah. Yeah, there's a lot girls. of there's a lot of iconic sounds we hear that relate to things mm-hmm. like 
you hear a piano key play and then another piano key play, you're like, oh, Black Parade. Yeah, My Chemical Romance. If I hear, bow, bow, <laughs> I'm already going, we got, let's go, girls. Let's go. Yeah. You get, you're cracking open a beer and ready to go. Right. I mean, like, that song, <laughs> that song is like, ah, man, it just puts me in a good mood. Perfect. It's absolutely perfect. All right, David, round us out. So, you know, I am a little opposite of Nick. I don't like country music. I just can't get into it. I'm sorry. Um, big rock fan indie rock like you know your punk like emo stuff like just like a, a classical like everything jazz but i couldn't think of, like i couldn't pinpoint a specific song but i could pinpoint a specific artist Uh-oh. that you know my wife loves this artist buys every album when it comes out, plays it nonstop, and it just gets ingrained into my brain where I'll just be like humming the songs. And this artist, you know, very well known, none other than Miss Taylor Swift. Okay. <laughs> All right. And, and her latest album, Midnight, like I know pretty much every song by heart right now. <laughs> and I'll just hear like a beat and I'm just like, oh, 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 oh. Like staring at the ceiling with you, like it's just like she gets me. Taylor Swift gets me, you know. Listen, she gets all of us. People that judge, people that listen to Taylor Swift, just hate good music. They do. They do. <laughs> we we our morning announcements at my school. I teach middle schoolers, okay. And the morning announcements crew will play songs as the show's getting ready, and they've played some Taylor Swift songs, and I'm just sitting there humming it. And girls are like, oh, "You like Taylor Swift?" She's not that great. I'm like, you're not that great. Okay. Yeah, you watch you don't what know, you say. You don't know talent, woman. Uh, no, yeah. I mean, Taylor Swift is awesome. I think, uh, you know, we've all jammed to a little bit of T-Swizzle here and there. And who cares? God, her a couple years ago, like her stuff, like um, freaking We Are Never Getting Back Together. Oh, yeah. And um, what's that song? Lying on the cold, hard ground. Oh, oh. I, I, oh yeah. And they, they made the goat video where like the goats are doing, and I'm like, this is great. Like all this is great. She's one of those artists who like, you may not like remember like the song she made in like the moment of somebody asked you him, but like, as soon as you hear them, you're like, oh yeah, that's that song. You're on the phone with your girlfriend. She's upset. Yeah. Ah, with bangs. Every uh, song is just a slapper. It is. I mean, and who cares, guys? It's. I mean, it's a good song. She plays. She plays good music. You know, she goes. She went from country to pop to country to pop to country to pop to country to pop. But hey, she's talented. She's made hundreds of millions of dollars because she's damn good at what she does. And I don't mm-hmm. care who's listening right now. If you hate on T Swizzle, you don't know good music. Right. For sure. For also, sure. I have a guilty pleasure album. It's not really even a guilty pleasure album. It's just no. a banger. It's just a banger. I mean, the Tarzan album. Phil Collins goes absolutely. Oh, oh so good. Phil Collins, terrible person, amazing musician. Oh God, I mean the Tar- Tarzan album. We, me and my buddy, just had a debate over best uh, soundtrack in a movie. I said Tarzan without a doubt. That so. came up. That came up between two of my buddies where we were talking about like soundtracks. And one of them said, not so good. I'm like, you're a monster. Get out of here. <laughs> it just hits home. It just hits the heart. It does. I mean, only Phil Collins, only Phil Collins can be the lead singer and the backup singer on his own song. Nobody else can pull that off. Unreal talent. Except maybe Sting. I think Sting could do it. Uh, but no, I, just, I thought it'd be a fun way to end the show off. Everybody kind of gets like a glimpse into who we are outside of the show. Yeah, we've only been around for three years. It's about time we started like showing our real selves. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm a Swifty. I'll say it. I'll go ahead and close this out. Uh, if you liked what you heard us all tonight on the show, please feel free to give us a like, a follow, share, whatever the social media currency is on the platform that you found us on. At the end of the day, it helps the show grow a lot. We are all over the social media spheres. We're on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, uh, Facebook, just we're all over the place. Feel free to give us the currency of your choice. Um, if you have any sort of like feedback or anything like that for the show, again, feel free to send it in. That helps the show get better, helps us, you know, put on a better show for you guys also. Cause at the end of the day, 
it's a podcast by fans for fans. Yeah, we all enjoy watching, you know, these teams play, but we get together because we enjoy talking about, we put it up here for you guys to enjoy the conversations that we have with each other. So if you have any way that like you think that we can improve this show, feel free to send it to us. Like we're really open to critiques of the show. But with all that being said, for your host tonight, Jordan Linscott, and for my co-hosts, David Barnhouse and Nick Page, this has been another edition of the Stick Blade Podcast. We'll catch you guys back all here next time. And in the meantime, stay safe, and we'll catch you back later.